Hello, welcome back. Hey, hey, extra faces here. (laughs) Y'all have to tell you, I hope this goes well, because every now and then I can get so focused on the things that I want to do and that I will let nothing get in my way because things have been getting in my way that I can ignore every other thing in the world. And that thing right now in our house is groceries. <laughs> I am a big breakfast person. I I want all the breakfast every single day. This is not special occasion, but today I have coffee with protein powder in it. Hustle juice, it's a hope and a prayer. <laughs> and this peanut butter packet. <laughs> it's empty. I wish it wasn't. I've already, I've already like squeezed it a third time just to be sure. <laughs> I hope this goes well. Red alert. I'm going to Waffle House right after. Uh, It'll be great. And Trisha, do you mind telling everybody, because this might be our first video episode. (laughs) It might be. Uh, We have been working on... The video technologies, and um, we are, you know, seeing if this can work for us. So it is possible that this will be the first episode that you can view on Spotify, video podcasts, and YouTube. So if you are hearing this, you can go look for it at Spotify Video and YouTube Book Fair Podcast. Cue the applause. (laughs) (laughs) So welcome, everybody. We are talking today about ideas, about reading for ideas. And we have a very special guest. So Elizabeth is going to introduce her for us. So my friend Sheridan Sweeney. Sheridan is currently beginning her 13th year in the education field. She taught first, second, and third grade in Tampa, Florida before leaving the classroom in 2016 to earn a doctorate from USF. Her six-year doctoral program, Sheridan taught undergraduate courses for USF's elementary education program and coach student teachers both locally and internationally in Cambridge, England. She just graduated with her PhD in curriculum and instruction with a concentration in literacy studies and is about to begin a job as a reading coach at an elementary school in St. Petersburg, Florida. Dr. Sheridan Sweeney. I can't I can't be done saying that. I still like Dr. Sheridan. It just still does not register, but it sounds lovely. It's you. Well, I'm super excited, yeah, to be here and this is super exciting. We're so glad to have you and have this conversation together. Um, ideas are my favorite. They're one of my favorite things yes. to talk about. So <laughs> we're so excited yes. about yes. this. One of my favorite quotes, and I keep it in the front of my homeschool binder, it's from Aristotle. So here's one of my quotes. It is the mark of an educated mind to be able to entertain a thought without accepting it. Mm. I love that. Yes. Such a good one. Yes. And so we're going to be talking about that a little bit today and that there is power in meaningful and attentive reading for ideas. So I know there's like a lot of science out there about this kind of thing that a new idea can form a new crease in your brain and all that kind of thing. And just that ideas are just underneath everything out there. Right. Yes, absolutely. So, um, and really this is at the heart of even the very name of our podcast book fair, F-A-R-E, the idea that there's a feast for your mind. And what does our mind feed on but ideas? And we've talked about it mostly in the context of story and narrative, but we're going to go a little bit broader with that today. So I'd like to know y'all's thoughts on just the power of ideas. 
I think it kind of comes to that pen is mightier than the sword idea that when we think of something and we try to flesh out the world around us, we're not, we're not birthing a concept. We're trying to understand the concept. So our idea is not the new thing. Our understanding is the new thing. And we're just trying to make sense of what already is happening around us. We're trying to put a name to it. We're trying to put a working vocabulary. We're trying to understand how that is relevant to our world. I think that's just learning how to be a human. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Yeah, I'm processing through that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think that, yeah, I think that when I think about ideas right now, something that comes to my mind is all of the opposing ideas that people are playing with, especially in online spaces. People are extremely attached to their ideas, Um, especially when you think about how ideas connect to beliefs. They're often, they are related to what we believe and Uh, Like during my dissertation work, some of the research I was looking at was talking about how usually beliefs are not necessarily rooted in like evidence or logic. It's something that we store more in the emotional part of our brain. And so that gets back to the Aristotle quote. And it's such an intentional activity to be able to set your emotions aside. Because when I think about when I started reading both sides of issues, I remember becoming aware of almost like a fear I had to encounter or dig down into the ideas that I really cherished. And then I had to ask myself, okay, why am I feeling afraid of this? And I love the, I feel like this is not really attributed to any one person, but just the idea that good ideas and and we should always be seeking after what is true also, and truth can stand up to scrutiny. And so I think that it's so important to develop that bravery to start wading into what are the things people are talking about right now? What are the big ideas swimming in culture? And then be able to understand on both sides, there's ways that people have gotten to their conclusions. And so how is it that they got to those conclusions? Because you really cannot have a good conversation until you really understand both sides of an issue. That I just love so many things about what you just said. Um, But I want to take a step back because as we were planning for this podcast, and we were so excited to have you, I haven't with my voice said how excited I am that you're here. Um, We were talking about that you, you know, your education is in children's literacy, Um, but there are things you do in your life specifically around this idea of helping people understand, as you put it, the ideas that our culture is swimming in. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, I was explaining to Amanda a little bit earlier how when I first started grad school, there were some ideas floating around academia that sounded really appealing. And on the face of it seemed to line up with a lot of my goals and the things that I was chasing after as an academic. Um, But I have, I'm very close to my uncle. Shout out to my uncle, Tony, who I have lots of intellectual conversations with. And one day he caught me when I was in like my second year of grad school. And he was asking me some questions about some things he had seen me post on Facebook. And he was probing into my thinking and he was helping me see that some of the ideas I had really gotten on board with were oversimplifying some really complex issues. And they sounded very good and they were the water I was swimming in. But when you really broke them down, they didn't represent the deepest of thinking and they and, and above all, the problem was, as I said, they were oversimplifying things that were the way that they were because of many factors. And the way I had been talking about them and thinking and engaging in advocacy really wasn't accounting for all those factors. So I just remember that being a really watershed moment for me. Like, wow, I do not ever again want to be caught not having really thought through hmm. a, an important issue. And so I realized if I was really going to be able to 
be productive in my professional life, I was going to have to make sure that I was saying and doing what I was saying and doing because I had personally delved into the topic. And books really, books and podcasts really became my way, which podcasts I feel they're not quite a read aloud, but I mean, you know, you're listening to voices, they tell stories. It's all, you know, I put it in the same category. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So books just, I became a voracious reader. I usually have one to two hard copy reads going at a time, but like two or three audiobooks going. And so a long story short, I, I started running into moms who were feeling like we would really like our kids to be deep thinkers um, and thinking through how could they do that and how could they understand some of the cultural issues and hot topics people are discussing. And we all just banded together and started a book club. And I also joined an online book club um, with people who are way beyond me intellectually. And I like hanging out with them because they really stretch my, they're up, they're in the academic circles, really thinking in very lofty ways, but then trying to bring it back down to the practical. So I love the very different demographics that I was able to hang out with um, that I still do. And that's just been a way that I think, I think it normalizes just feeling kind of muddy right now and that everybody's thinking through a lot of things wow. and that books are an amazing tool where for a set price, you have access to the amazing intellectual understandings and experiences of, you know, an, a limitless number of incredible individuals in the world. And I would like to be a better thinker. So I want to be around good thinkers and books are a way that I can do that. I love that. I love that. When you said, that's what I'm swimming around in. I, yeah. I love that phrasing that really resonated. And it makes me think just of the term worldview too, yeah. and how that is really um, underlying everything, everything we consume, um, commercials, speeches, movies, books, of course, music. It's just underneath everything. Yeah, that was, I think that's really what, I, I love that word too. That's been my world, word the last couple of years. And I think that was kind of the, the watershed moment several years back when my uncle caught me was like, oh, there's a very specific agenda that was under some of what I had hopped on with. And um, that's fine, but it, it didn't match what I was trying to do in education. And so that was the first time I had kind of heard that word and realized, wow, everything truly is coming from a certain orientation. And it's important to be able to put words to that and language and spot that and, yeah. uh, and not be sort of like a passive consumer, but really keeping your eyes out to spot. Um, and I thought of that also as just learning to speak multiple languages. So if I can understand this worldview, I can talk to people who really come from that worldview, but if I can also articulate my worldview or these other worldviews, then I'm bilingual, multilingual in that sense. And so books can help me become culturally multilingual to be able to hold conversations with people who might not be coming from my worldview, but together, maybe we can get somewhere more productive. We can learn from each other. We can change ideas that need to be changed. We talk a lot about reading widely on this podcast. Yeah. I mean, that's like Amanda's very specific goal, but I think in all of our ways, we, we have, we like to dip into that idea, but I always notice and combat in myself, the reaction to when I hear something to want to read something that supports my point. Yes. <laughs> and not that there is anything wrong with doing that too, yeah. but if that's all right. we're doing, it's really pointless. We're not growing. We're not being challenged. We might be becoming dumber. I mean, <laughs> truly. Echo chamber. Yeah, right, it is an because... echo chamber. And I don't think echo chambers are limited to any one belief system or population at all. No. I think it's something right. that with the growth of social media and just the interwebs, it is something that every one of us as as information consumers need to be aware of. And so I've kind of been thinking more and more about how do we do that and how do we teach our children? So like, yeah. okay, so that is wonderful. You agreed with that. What would the other right. side be? What would the, 
Because I remember being suddenly aha about a one particular argument when I when I realized that they didn't believe that because they were a bad person. Because I guess that's right. what I had thought for a long time about this yeah. particular issue is that like, well, if you're a bad person, you believe that. And that's, just, <laughs> that's not true about anything. It's not true. People believe right. things because they believe it will better the world. So if right. I can, if I can begin to try to understand their view or stand on their side of the room a minute and look at this idea, I can yeah. only grow. Yeah, I heard Jordan Peterson say one time, and I did this while I was writing my dissertation, that you kind of have to become two people in your mind. Mm -hmm. And the first person is you and what you believe and what you're arguing. But the other is your critic. And that was a really interesting process. I try to do that now just as a thinker. But like when I was writing my dissertation, every so often after I'd write a chunk and make an argument and then try to show my evidence, I would just see if I could rip it apart and think, how are my professors going to come at me with this? What are some areas of weakness? And that is the best way to improve and strengthen your own thinking. If your thinking is true and worthy, then it can only be bolstered by mm -hmm. digging in on your research. But if you're also being a critic to your own thinking, you're going to find your areas of weakness. And maybe those can be strengthened, but maybe you need to change your mind. And again, when I was discovering that I was kind of afraid to change my mind about things, it was a it was a very important process of self-reflection. Why am I afraid to change my mind? Everyone should at some point about something be changing their mind. If you so, haven't changed your mind in a while, you haven't thought in a while, I think is safe to say. Yeah, exactly. And that's also it's interesting. I like online I'll see people say in different private groups that I'm in, someone said this to me like about a particular issue. What is a good response or what could I say back? And I always think that's really interesting because it's kind of like they've foregone the thought that maybe they need to sit with that argument from that person mm -hmm. for a second or think it through. They're just thinking what would be what what's like a pre pre-prepared thing I can dish back out. You know, what could I say? And tell I, me the I response. Right. And I'm always thinking, well, that seems like the primary concern is just having something to say back or maintaining like a right position in the conversation when the best kind of thinking and the best kind of conversations involve taking in what people <clears throat> think and then really processing it through and seeing if there's merit to it and maybe sometimes keeping a piece of it while, while setting aside the rest of it if it's not true or helpful. Um, so, yeah, I, I see that going around a lot on social media and I always want to jump in and say, like, well, did you sit with their comment? Did yeah. you think it through? You're you know? going to battle, not to community. Like, exactly. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a good one. I'm writing that down, Elizabeth. <laughs> <laughs> Another Elizabethism. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it will haunt me in some way later. Well, and that, <laughs> um, so... When Charlie and I were early dating, I remember Sheridan some of that fear of like, oh, wait, what? Um, yeah. Because he was telling me this story about he, he used to be on an airplane all the time. He would get on an airplane every Sunday and he would go to some place in the world and do an audit. And anyway, he'd be gone a few days or a week or two, just depending on how far away it was. And so... You know, you used to couldn't have any Wi-Fi or anything on planes and people read more. And he was mm -hmm. telling me that he was reading the Richard Dawkins book, The God Delusion. And he is a mm -hmm. believer. And the right. person in the seat next to him, gently and kindly, and I'm sure with with love, was like, can I tell you about Jesus? And he goes, oh, I know about Jesus. I know him. <laughs> and they were like. He said, you could just tell they were deeply shocked, like maybe to the level they didn't want to sit there anymore. Like they didn't want to not sit oh. by him before, but when they realized that he was a Christian reading that book, they were, he said, it was just so obvious how they were like, I don't, what are you, are you kidding me? That's and a compute, yeah. Yeah. It just, it just, it was a roadblock. And I remember thinking, yeah, why are you reading that even but in yeah. just a very simple sentence, he said, I don't want to read things I agree with. 
because I already know what I think. I want to know what I'm not thinking about that I might need to. Exactly. And if, and if, if I believe in God for good reasons, I will continue to believe in God. And this, he said, Elizabeth, this is how I approach anything. Like, I don't want to read things I agree with. I don't want to follow people I agree with. I, I already know about that. And I remember that's the first time when I was like, ah, you know what? I really like this guy. <laughs> because <laughs> it was a new thing that I had learned about somebody I thought I already knew. But like that was that was a much more and it was also something that I thought that that scared me for a second, but also I wanna be that. I mm-hmm. I really yeah. liked that. And I just yes. still like to picture that poor, uncomfortable person beside him. <laughs> That's a great story. Yeah. I think that that is half the battle of buying the book in the first place that you don't agree with is just getting comfortable with not knowing. Real thinking can be exhausting. And we live so much of our life in familiar spaces and with familiar people. And for the most part, we are crossing paths with people generally speaking, who like there's a tendency in human nature to gravitate in community to people that we vibe with, um, or we share common interests with. Yeah. So I think that, uh, books in and of themselves are a tool to help us break outside of what we are, our echo chambers, but then the people that can go along with those books too, not just the author that wrote them, but inviting people in our lives to open those books up with us and then discover even though we think a lot alike about a lot of things we're not identical and what what piece of the pie can other people add to my thinking and just totally normalizing that feeling of i i don't know if i if i can tell you what i think about this yet but i'm on a journey and that's okay to be in that sticky spot and if you never get comfortable with being in that middle sticky i'm not sure then i don't know if you're if you can ever truly start to really think for yourself. And so I think that's a really big place to focus with our kids too. That's a great point. We're not talking about being your mind being so open that everything falls out and nothing stays in. Right. Just that this is a process. Yes. I love that you said that because that's (laughs) another kind of trend that I see in education circles and working with kids is, uh, I mean, I know it's very, uh, trendy anyway for for some decades now that the idea of truth is relative that's a whole different topic but sort of the idea that just all of these ideas are equal and um almost like an overcorrection just to be living on the end of the continuum that says i don't know and i'm okay with that but um you know to be able to advocate for things that you believe in and to chase after you know the goals you have to eventually land somewhere on the things that you think. And of course, not everything and some things, it's just okay to not know. But I do kind of see a shift, uh, especially in academic circles, where it's sort of just totally acceptable to just, well, we might not ever know that and just kind of live there. And you don't want to overcorrect to that either, I don't think. Because that's also not helpful to other people or to children. Um, Some kind of and even if your thinking changes after a while, even if this is what you thought, but then it changes, like we already talked about, being able to land on something and have some defined boundaries is important because otherwise you're just swimming along and susceptible to whatever. And there's some really bad ideas out there. Yeah. And that matters. Um, yeah. And it's really helpful. It's been really helpful for me to when I'm reading fiction or nonfiction that has these strong ideas in them to read with a mentor or a community or something like that. That has been so helpful. I just did, as I've said on listeners of the podcast know earlier this year, I did a deep dive into Marxism and I'm so glad I did. It was really wonderful. Um, And I did that with a group and I'm so glad Um, it really helps you work through things. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that um, when you start to do that and you're especially using books as primary first sources to really look at Mm -hmm. ideas with the support of a community, you can avoid straw men, you know, of your opponent or 
constructing an oversimplified, distorted, unfair version of what your critics or opponents are saying. And that is just so rampant right now. It and is. I say this with all humility. It's just when you're when you're watching conversations sometimes unfold, I'm always thinking, d- like, do they not understand that people very much oppose that and they and and they have very strong ideas for why they oppose it and if you're just guns a blazing going out with these distortions of their ideas they will never engage you in productive conversation and at that point i do think that that's where for so many people without thinking and i've been this person too and i think we all fall into it sometimes you really are just about the battle or being trying to be right um because no rational person thinks that when you're distorting and presenting extremes of other people's thoughts that they're going to engage back in a productive way. So books are a huge tool for really understanding why do these people think what they think? And a lot of times you figure out that there is something you can take from that, but you're better set up to respond to what they think also. So... Well, let's talk about some examples of books um, that that have some of these big ideas in them. And I want to actually start with fiction. Um, You know, can you guys think of some fiction that you have read that have, we talk about the great conversation, classics, great books with a capital G, even a lower G or even good books with a capital G. (laughs) Um, (laughs) They are because they talk about deep and fundamental things about what it means to be human. Mm-hmm. And you're taking part in that conversation when you're reading it and you are aware of these ideas and you're taking them into your mind, turning them over, looking at them at every angle, and you're making decisions about those ideas. So that's what we mean about the great conversation. You can talk with Aristotle and Homer and G.K. Chesterton, my man, who I've not talked <laughs> about much on this podcast, but he's my favorite. And, um, you know, you're part of that. And it's very uniting. It's a uniting thing. And that's part of what we're wanting to pursue on this episode also, is that there's power in these ideas, but it also can be very uniting. Um. So one of the first books that came to my mind, and I have mentioned this before in a previous podcast, but in terms of fiction is Frankenstein. And it is a great book. It's been considered a classic for a long time. It's very well written. I'm so glad I read it. It It's very compelling. But a lot of the ideas in it, the role of God and the role of man are very different than what I think. And those ideas kind of rolled over me in waves and it was very powerful and I kind of felt icky (laughs) and I was like, wow, I don't think I would give this to like my 13 year old without any direction because again, ideas are very powerful, but it's, it was, it's an important book and I'm glad I read it and that I had a mentor and I just read this a year or two ago. So in my forties that I had a mentor to read this with. Because I'm fairly new to reading these great books. So if you're younger or if you're newer to chewing on these really meaty, weighty books, I've just been so grateful to have that guidance. So anyway, Frankenstein. And then also Persuasion, Jane Austen. Love it. Really powerful ideas. Really powerful. Everybody needs truth and grace. You know, that just rolls over me in waves when I read that. And it's so... So powerful. So anyway, those are two books that came to my mind. Do you, have you guys thought of any other fiction books that you've had that powerful experience connecting to the ideas in it? Well, almost accidentally, I read Atlas Shrugged and the Four Winds back to back or close to back to back, maybe actually back to back um, within at least a few months of each other. And I felt like both of them had a nice contrast to this capitalism Marxism conversation and each showed a very black and white of one side. And I enjoyed being able to let those sit together. 
so that it wasn't like, well, this is 100% true, and also this is 100% true. I mean, Atlas Shrugged is a story of um, capitalism's glory and it, you know, falling apart when no one else saw it. And then The Four Winds was a, was a story of a lady who was being failed by capitalism. And so I liked, and I, I, I did feel uncomfortable at some parts here in The Four Winds because I had never considered why someone would think it was a good idea. And I needed to. I needed to know that a large portion of the world doesn't think this is a an idea that's worth listening to for no reason. Like... I needed to be able to say, like, well, look, this is this is how she might come to that. Now, I can follow the path then from there and decide, do I think it's a good idea? Do I think it holds up? But to first be able to emotionally connect to why someone might say, I don't know, I'm looking over here, guys, was really important for me. <clears throat> to then be able to continue to think, now, what do I think? Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, I realize I have not been the biggest fiction reader in my life. When I was young, I read exclusively nonfiction in high school and early college. And then briefly in my 20s, I went through a fantasy phase. I was only reading fantasy. But then in grad school, all back to nonfiction, informational philosophy, because I I needed that. Um, so I was realizing that the fiction I've read is like all children's literature. Um, mm. And I can think of literature in that genre that is sending messages, very specific messages from worldviews that I don't agree with, and then some that really resonate. So uh, have you heard of The Miraculous Journey of Edward Tulane by Kate DiCamillo? Uh-huh. Yeah. So I, yeah, I read that every year when I was teaching to every <clears throat> class and it was just amazing to watch them have these consistent reactions to it year after year, different specific connections, different favorite parts, but holistically just um, the identifying with the emotions and the relationships in that story and e- whether they were first graders or third graders being able to put themselves in the mind of Edward at different phases of his journey. And that was really beautiful to share. I think I, I read it to seven different classes. So I've read it seven times now and just never gets, never got old ever. Yeah. And I think sometimes children's literature is the clearest way Mm -hmm. to see that messaging of ideas because, you know, it's just simpler and more compact and they're not trying to weave eight ideas into it. Like when you were talking about that, what popped into my head was a wrinkle in time, mm-hmm. which, cause you also mentioned fantasy and sometimes fantasy can have super powerful ideas in it because they're constructing a world to show you something through a story and right. a wrinkle in time is about love. I mean, it's what it's about. It's about love and the love we have for each other as family or as friends. And that love is so powerful that it can break through time, space, magic, evil, bitterness, unforgiveness, that that's, that that's how powerful love is. But it's saying that in a story mm-hmm. so that you get caught up in the story and you see all of that, but it's so easy and beautiful to step back and say, this is the idea. And do I agree with this idea? Mm-hmm. And that's also a really big question. You know, do I really believe that love can break through all of those kind of things? And, you know, I ask myself that question when we're talking about, all of the fighting that's going on right now about people having these ideas and being so attached to them and just wanting to win arguments, not really wanting to engage in necessarily like productive human way, just essentially wanting to take up their swords and, you know, go out on the battlefield and win this battle. Um, Do I believe that if I love people, it can break through that battling. 
Yeah. It's like, that's a great story you told, but is it true? Right. Right. (sighs) Yeah, I have a book on my shelf at home called The Need for Story. And there's Uh people in um, academia who that's their whole research line is just looking at how we live storied lives. We understand ourselves personally through the lens of a story. I am a person. There are these people in my life. This is the trajectory it's been on. I have a place I've come from, a place I'm going to. And part of how that can, how that plays into the love for books and the love for story and why when we talk, we tend to talk in a story. And so it's, it's a cool connection thinking to when you pause and ask yourself, what space in the story am I occupying? And yeah, do I believe in these ideas and these stories that I'm taking in? Where do they even fit in my story or are they even there? It's an interesting question. Yeah. So the next question that comes up in my mind, Sheridan, is I loved what you said. Well, I've loved everything you've said pretty much. So we could just say that. But at the beginning, (laughs) when you were talking about, um, you know, wanting to pursue ideas and truly understand them when your uncle challenged you and you were like, I need to truly understand what this is. So say I'm a person who has not done that much. And I do feel some fear and trepidation of going and picking out a book about something that I know I disagree with, whether it's politically or religiously or in parenting philosophy, whatever it is, it, it has never really occurred to me to go pick up a book of the opposite perspective and read the whole book, like not just read something, like <laughs> read the whole book. Um, how do I start doing that? So the first thing I would say is don't do it alone. That's a strong theme through this whole conversation we've been having. So even if you are just finding one person in your life that even if they can't do a book club with you, but you can talk together about ideas, think about who that might be for you and do it with them. And uh, if you don't have anyone in your own life, the online space can be a really wonderful resource. So I would say also start small. Um, type in keywords on Amazon and look at the recommended books on different topics and see as you're looking at those different recommended books, what books keep reappearing because those are probably kind of the primary books on that topic right now and read the summary and the summary will let you know if you're probably going to be vibing with it or if it might challenge your thinking. And I think once you actually have a book in your hands and you've settled on one that you think will push your thinking, just read small chunks at a time and figure out the way that works for you. It might be an audiobook. I've consumed most of my literature in the last four years through audiobooks because it was either that or it's going to have to wait till I graduate because I was doing so much oh. other reading. Oh, <laughs> hey, girls. So one of our big <laughs> things, Sheridan, this is a sidetrack, but okay. one of our big things is audiobooks count. Yes, exactly. And <laughs> and, but I just want to say, because there are a couple people, I've even had a couple people comment to me, like, I'm not sure that's real. And I've, you know, stated things uh. and stated research, but now we have a doctor in literacy. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to ask you, Sheridan, for the record, do audiobooks count? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Woo, woo. So, yeah. And I mean... <laughs> Books are made to be read hard copy, to be listened to. We don't tell kids when we're doing a read aloud with them and they get done. We don't say, you've never read that book. They've read the book. We just read it to <laughs> right. them. Like, so we need to transfer this to our adult lives. And, you know, there are my, I have friends in my book club who just can't do an audio book. I get that. That's totally cool. But for me, I flew through so many titles that way. So I think just getting back to your question, doing it with people which might mean you're leading the way just by asking the question if they want to use different online book uh, platforms to find out Mm -hmm. sort of what are the big names in this topic right now. And it doesn't take too long of exploring books to figure out who the key players are in, in in these chats right now. Who are the key authors? Who are the key keynote speakers? And just don't push yourself to have to go too fast or, you know, to uh, come to a new conclusion or assume that you're wrong or that you're totally going to change. Just take it as it comes. Uh, Those are the things that definitely really helped me. 
but the the ability i have a thread on my phone with my uncle and a friend of ours and it's been there for four years and we have been talking about ideas for four years we just throw things in there it could be a book quote it could be a podcast episode and as I have evolved as a thinker, I rely heavily on them. And we're not afraid sometimes when somebody comes out strong with an opinion to drop in <clears> the thread <throat> and say, I think you're missing this, or I don't know if I'm on, I'm on uh, vibing with you on that. And that's just such a, that can be a rare relationship to have. And I think we should be cult, uh, intentionally cultivating that with our friends. Yeah, I... I do think that safe place to hash it out verbally, um, explore it verbally might be a better way to say it is so right. important as a next step from books and ideas of like, I've explored it this way. Now I need to face to face with somebody. I have a dear friend that I've known for a long time that we, um, disagree honestly on almost everything politically, we disagree with just, I mean, the list of things must just be long, <laughs> but <laughs> we, I enjoy her perspective so much. Um, I guess I won't say if she enjoys mine or not. We keep talking, so I don't know, maybe, but, <laughs> but I enjoy her perspective so much because she, she's not doing battle. She will say, well, I think this, and I, I, I feel like this is being missed. And, um, during the pandemic, we sat outside in a park for four hours one day while our kids played and we did not debate, but discussed so many opposing ideas that I mm -hmm. will forever be grateful for that conversation and many more that we've had and her own online space. I'll think, I don't, I don't know that I agree with that, but I love thinking about why she came to that and hearing why she came to that and considering that. So... <clears throat> Yeah, that, that trusted person that you go through it with may not be one that agrees with you even, but like I can hear something in a book and it might be more compelling than after I start talking about it. Then I start to go, ah, I don't know. Even if someone does agree with it. Mm -hmm. Now, also, if someone does not agree with it, that, that conversation might bring me around to, it's just something about that, like movement and energy of the conversation about it where I start to then take hold of what I want to take hold of or what I'm going to take hold of, I guess. So, yeah, I think that we should start really celebrating and lifting up the messiness of thinking and um, the nobility of changing your mind where in places where traditionally as a society, we've really prioritized being right or being the authority on this topic. There's nothing wrong with that, obviously, with knowing your stuff and being an expert. Obviously, I that's what a PhD program, you're in pursuit of that, right? But um, the people that I respect the most that have had the most impact on me, whether they're authors or personal friends, are people who've had the courage after really thinking about something to say, I changed my mind about that. And when they change their mind about it, not because the trendy tides of culture shifted, um, but because they really thought about it uh, or not because it's what became the most convenient thing to think, but because they really thought about it. And that's really the kind of thinker that I endeavor to be as a like a type uh, recovering perfectionist as an elementary school <laughs> all the way through college, like. You know, when I missed like one percentage for, from a 4.0, sobbing my eyes out, I was just, <laughs> it was a paralyzing, that was paralyzing. And so I feel like books have also been part of my story of coming out of um, a paradigm where perfectionism, there was nothing wrong with that. And this is what I'm striving for. That was just, that was the ultimate great in my mind was just doing things so well mm -hmm. all the time. And through grad school and important people in my life have been able to shift to, to thinking, okay, actually the finest thinkers of our time are people who are willing to be wrong sometimes. That's a risk of thinking. And when you're thinking and you're unsure, sometimes you're going to be wrong. 
and that's okay. And those are the people who I have a lot of respect for. And that's what I'm trying to do in my friend circles. And also, you know, as a parent one day, hopefully that is what I can accomplish with my own children. Yeah. I have so, another thought on this. Oh, sorry. I don't know where this Yeah, fits. no, go ahead. Well, go for I, it. I don't know if you all have heard of the book, The Coddling of the American Mind. That's up on my list. I might totally be jumping it's on yeah, my TBR. It, it, okay. I, keep, I have one client that's like, if you haven't so read good. this by the next time I'm here, I don't know what we're going to do with you. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> my book club, I went through it on my own and then with my book club. And one of the most important ideas that I took from that book is our tendency right now in culture to talk about words and ideas like they are dangerous. And so the authors in that book, Jonathan Haidt and Greg Lukianoff, talk about how we need to shift our language away from ideas of danger and harm and uh, kids or ourselves needing protection. Um, and shift it to making sure that when we're talking about harm, we're actually talking about physical, mental, physical, bodily harm, you know, things that actually bring violence or can do the body harm. Because ideas are not a danger or a threat. You're, you can take an idea in and then evaluate it. And it can leave your mind and you are not, you're not harmed. Um, but that as long as we keep talking together uh, as a society about ideas and words and things like that being harmful and kids or adults needing protection from that, that that's just making it more and more difficult for our polarized opposing sides to engage with one another. And this is all over. I'm in a, a Christian, there's, there's a Christian circle that I run in uh, where I recently saw something going on about giving our kids the gift of protection from ideas. And I thought, I don't think that's the way we want to go because, and these are very critical thinkers. It's just sort of something that is a very popular thing to say mm -hmm. right now. And I think yeah. people kind of know what people mean when they say it, but I think we really need to be very precise in our language when, and talk about uh, helping kids evaluate ideas, be discriminating in what they, um, like take in an idea and then be able to discriminate. Oh, this is, yes, I think this is true. This is not, uh, be critical thinkers, but I think that that harm danger protection language is not, I think it's doing us a disservice. Well, because here's why you follow that trail and you have your ideas are dangerous. Your ideas are dangerous. And whoever ultimately exactly. wins burns the other one's books and we're in Nazi Germany. Right. Like, and, yes. because, oh, it was harmful. Yes. So we also, have to do away. Right. Mm. And if, I, if you're just a danger, mm. I can make you subhuman. Mm -hmm. Like you're just, and I'm not going to read anything you put out. I'm not going to sit with your ideas. You represent a threat. That's really the word I was reaching for. Treating ideas like they are a threat. Absolutely. Ideas can produce undesirable outcomes. They can threaten well-being, you know, but words and language in and of itself is not threatening my physical being. And we need to get back to uh, more, like I said, more precise language with that. You said one of the author's names for the coddling of the American mind is Jonathan Haidt. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but here's another book yeah. of his. Um, the Righteous, the righteous mind, mind, Why Good yeah. People Are Divided by Politics and Religion. And um, I, it's on my TBR, and I actually have it. So that is the upper tier of my TBR, because we know how massive my TBR is. So... <laughs> <laughs> And uh, so I haven't read it yet, but mm -hmm. I have it because it's been recommended to me by several really trusted sources. So I'm looking forward to that. And I think Ben has started the, started the audiobook. I'm not sure, but I think I've heard him and talk so, about this book on another podcast. Um, it was really interesting. This, this the, one uh, or Righteous a different Mind. Book? I, I got to see if this is in fact mm -hmm. yet. I think it is. That is one... I started that on audiobook and it's actually one of the very few books I realized I cannot really comprehend on audiobook. It is thick with research and tracing like thought fathers in cognitive psychology and stuff. 
And oh, I was yeah. giving all of my attention, even if I just sat with it and listened, it was, so I'll be curious to see how you like it. I realized I need to go get this hard copy and dig into it, but it's been highly recommended to me by very uh, good friends also. So, and he has a third book coming mm-hmm. out. That sounds really great too. Jonathan Haidt does. It's oh. called Babel, I think. And about like, oh. the role of social media in making us uh, unable to think and talk together and reason and move in a productive society or direction mm. of the society, but also with recommended suggestions, I think we're getting past that. Uh, well, I was going to say great. that, um, the righteous mind I know is on hoopla. I've started on hoopla. I was going to listen to it, but maybe that's not the best place to listen to audio. <laughs> maybe it's not the I'll best one for it. audio, but <laughs> it's, a, it's a thick one for sure. Yeah. Um, I have a couple others to recommend. If we're talking about recommendations for books about reading for ideas or books about ideas or books about thinking, that kind of genre, um, this is one of the books I read, uh, with my group for, uh, Marxism. I'm sure these are all backwards, but I still want to hold them up because I just like holding them. Mm -hmm. Um, This is That Hideous Strength, A Deeper Look at How the West Was Lost by Melvin Tinker. It's fantastic. It traces threads of thinking through time, as does this one, Carl Truman's The Rise and Fall of the Modern Self. I'm reading that right now. Are you? Oh, uh I started it. Ben has read it and he has a new one out that's shorter mm. and is still basically about the same things. Um, the sub, what am I? The subtitle? little extra title. Yeah. Subtitle. Extra title. <laughs> Cultural amnesia, expressive individualism and the road to sexual revolution. Oh, it's, it's really, really good so far. And I know you've had one that you always start your book clubs out with Sheridan. Say it again. Or that you started, you have a book that you've, you started your book club out with. We went through the Mama Bear apologetics books. Uh, those were our, yeah, those were a great flyover. (laughs) I wish I had my copy to flyover. Yeah. Those books, I would say, give you just enough information about something to be able to say, oh, when you hear it, hear a label dropped or something, you say, oh, I, yeah, I've heard of that. But definitely then intended Go for you to continue it. on digging in, doing your own. Yeah. And I would say my only caution with those books is just knowing that if all you do is read the chapter and then you try to go out and debate someone, you will be constructing a straw man accidentally, probably, because you'll know just enough to try to hold a conversation. Um, so they're amazing jumping off points. And what I, what the moms in my book club and I, we've talked a lot about kind of picking your passion or something that just really speaks to you. Don't feel like, mm-hmm. oh, uh, and anybody can do this, it, but there's 12 or whatever topics discussed here. And now I got to go you know, read about all of these and become an expert and deep, deep dive. Like there's two or three of those topics in that book that are really close to my heart for various reasons that I've just dug so deeply into. And those are different than my friend's heart passions. You know, she's digging into two or three different ones. And so I do think that uh, part of our instant age is feeling like something happens and now you have a job to be responding instantly or, you know, holding a position in, yes, weigh in a hot take online or something. And that's another place we need a bit of a shift that the, the well thought out word is very Mm -hmm. important and goes a long way in changing ideas over hot takes and feeling like we have to be able to hold a position on everything and do it right now. I did feel like when I read this book that it was good, but if this is the only book you read, you would just be part of the problem. This is only like, now what should you think about? Now what should you look at? What questions do you have? I I feel like I have heard some people throwing this book around, like the end all, and I'm like, well, that shouldn't be the end of the story, and I actually don't, I don't agree with what you're saying right now, and I love that book. But... That's always well, the consideration. And the funny thing is, yeah, and the authors of that book 
are advocating in the book for you this to be your starting point and for continual critical thinking is their big message. And I also love their um, advocacy for, you know, learning to take a piece of something. There might be something good here we can keep and then set the, the rest aside. Like they're teaching all kinds of thought techniques. They're not claiming that their group is going to get you set up, you know, to be the end all be all on this topic. So yeah, it's to be used with wisdom. One small say. example that I liked from it's this book great... that if you haven't read it, maybe it will sell you on it because I feel like the title of it could be a turnoff for many people too. Um, there was yeah. one way that they dealt with as parents, what are you going to let your kids watch? And they really, if I'm remembering, it's been a while since I read it, but spoke against arbitrary, oh, we don't watch in PG-13 or we don't watch R. What idea is right. this is, is what she wants to consider right. because you might watch this movie that's an R, but never this other one. And if we teach your children that, then we've not taught them how to follow a rule, but we've taught them how to discern their own mind and what, and what should be allowed in and out. And I just thought, well, that's a great one. Yeah. Um, yeah, I loved that yeah. one. Go ahead, Amanda. Uh, I, yeah, I would say it's like the best primer. It's like the gateway drug into <laughs> thinking about ideas. Yeah. It's like it's your marijuana. It's your pot. Um, and I definitely recommend it. <laughs> and reading oh go ahead no i was just gonna say <laughs> that part that elizabeth just reminded us of really stuck with me because i thought about the difference in a young adult a college age person and then you know an adult the difference between having just been always handed cutoffs or rules or we just do not do this versus while you had mentors walking you through life uh, having someone there helping you learn how to evaluate ideas and think through, oh, uh, you know, certainly at certain ages, there are some things that are just not appropriate for this age child, or just because you know your child, they can't watch that right now. And then there's other things where even though the rating or whatever might say a certain thing, you're directly mentoring them to consume it or to consume part of it, and then have a conversation because that will happen, whether they're five, 10, or now they're 20, but I wouldn't want that to be happening for the first time when they're 20 and they're swimming in it. And it's the water that they're, you know, every day Yeah. when I didn't get a chance to help them learn how to be a critical thinker. And so, and it's obviously not just media books again, are a great opportunity. Like let's spot the good ideas in this book. And then let's think about maybe where do we disagree with this author, but also why mm -hmm. do we? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. So I just wanted to jump in and say that because we talked a little bit earlier. Um, about how it can be uncomfortable yeah. to dive into things that we don't agree with. And, you know, that can be difficult. And, and that is true. And, you know, when we were talking about social media, you know, what we're saying is not you ought to let yourself be barraged by things that make you uncomfortable and you disagree with and that go right. against your beliefs or your worldview all the time. Right. So sure. like for me, when I, I have pretty much pared down my Facebook to like friends who show me pictures of their children and their dogs. Like that's, <laughs> that's what I want to see on Facebook. Yeah. I don't want to be barraged by political opinions on any side. That's not yes. what I want. Um, it makes me uncomfortable on every side because of what you're saying about it just being these snippy, like trying to soundbite highly complex issues and obvious uh, oversimplification, weaponizing. I don't like any of that. So what I'm saying is it is okay for you to have spaces in your life that you don't let that stuff in. You yes. don't have to confront new ideas or, you know, things you disagree with. You don't have to confront it everywhere. It's okay to say, purposeful. this is how I'm going to take this step. Like you were saying, Sheridan. Yeah, to take one purposeful step. I'm going to find a friend 
and read this book, or I'm going to join another book club that has some people in it that don't agree with all of my worldviews. You know, pick some spaces where you can start being exposed to that. But in no way are we saying, like, you're not a good open-minded person if you don't want to be barraged by that 24-7. No, and I think that... Right. I think that is a really important caveat and just comment that you weigh in with because I have definitely had seasons where I've realized I need to take a step back because there's so much happening that we have more access to than ever in history all at one time. My brain is going around the clock and I have noticed like my anxiety levels take a hit from that. And that was my cue like, oops, I... For me, as a Christian, oh, I need to get, first of all, back into my Bible and get centered again. But also, I need to set this topic aside and just pursue this one. And maybe I'll listen to 30 minutes a day instead of two or three hours. It can be a very taxing endeavor for sure. So I think that is really important. And keep an eye on yourself as you as you engage different ideas, because it can be for sure. Exhausting. Well, and if you're exhausted and full yeah, of anxiety, yeah. you're not considering the idea. So you're not even doing what you're setting out to do. Mm-hmm. So. Right. You have to do it from a place mm-hmm. of rest for sure. Mm. So as we head towards wrapping up this conversation, um, you guys can think about any final thoughts you want to throw out or any other book recommendations that we haven't, you haven't had a chance to say. So I think my final thought would be, we've talked about reading for ideas a lot of time. We've talked about reading for ideas a lot of times for the purpose of talking to others and understanding where others are coming from. And something that I have noticed in myself is sometimes I read for ideas and read these books about ideas and realize, oh, that idea has had a root in my mind and I didn't even realize that. So it's helping me be more self-aware of what I'm thinking and where that is coming from. That's been really helpful. So Elizabeth, do you have any final Um, thoughts you want to share? Well, I did come across this quote that I think I said during our sci-fi episode that I decided I wanted to read Ender's Game and that's actually next up and the reason why is that that episode and then also Charlie just watching it which that's one of he and Trenton's books like favorite um I was doing something else like cleaning up the room and I heard this quote and it stopped me in my tracks and I turned around and I was like that's in the book I will I will read that book I can see that book newly now and it makes so much sense for this conversation even though I haven't fully had that journey yet but it said in the moment when I truly understand my enemy understand him well enough to defeat him then in that moment I also love him I think it's impossible to really understand somebody what they want what they believe and not love them the way they love themselves and I think if we can bring that into our conversations and understandings of positions then we're community and not battle. And that's a book about battle. But that's, I think that that's how I want to be approaching ideas I'm not sure about. I want to really understand them so that I can love the haver of that idea because they're a person like me. Yes. Sheridan, it's been so great to have you on. Um, It's been really wonderful. And do you have any final thoughts that you would like to share? Yeah, I think just on the topic of being a reader, don't let anyone tell you what it is or isn't to be a reader. And so if it's Mm audio book for you or hard copy, if you read what you can, but you lose interest and then you set it aside and pick a new one, It's okay if you don't finish it. Just read how it's benefiting you and just expect the, um, the inundation of ideas to be overwhelming. Like even if it's just one book and you're not reading all the things, it is overwhelming sometimes to, uh, get into new ideas. And if you're confused, that doesn't mean you're not smart enough to do this work of thinking. 
because mm-hmm. this, mm-hmm. a step on the way to understanding often is being overwhelmed and confused and just push past that, keep reading, keep thinking, talk to other people. You are absolutely able to do it. Just normalize that and expect it. And there will be understanding on the other side more often than not when you stay with it. I love that. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Trisha, any final thoughts? I loved it, Elizabeth. You just kind of blew past it. But when you said, you know, people don't believe things because they're bad people. People believe things because they think they'll make the world better. Trisha, do you mind repeating that? I'm sorry to interrupt you. You cut out and I I missed, I haven't heard anything yet. And I would love to know what you said (laughs) because I'm sure it's wonderful. (laughs) So Elizabeth, I want to reference, you know, back a while back, you sort of blew past it, but you said people don't believe things because they're bad people. They believe things because they think they're going to make the world better. Yeah. And I think that is an important idea. And I think that is an idea that a lot of our political machinery is trying to attack and trying to paint the other side as bad. And I do believe there is a path forward to community and to a healthier place of dialogue for our country. But if we are going to get there, it is going to be through doing things like we've talked about in this conversation. It's going to be through caring enough about people who think differently than you to, with an open mind, investigate and understand opposing ideas But as we've talked about today, it's not even just about caring about them enough. It's about caring about yourself enough and trusting that truth and light are not in danger and that I am only going to improve my life and my mind and what I can do in the world by understanding things more deeply. And that includes understanding quote the other side. So yes. that's, that's my takeaway from today. Well, is said. this our best conversation ever? <laughs> this is so enjoy. I could talk to you for hours. This is so enjoyable. <laughs> Same. This is really wonderful. And I am so thankful for our, um, conversation here today and also for our community, for our book fair community and our Facebook group, as I really feel like it's a place to pursue truth, truth, goodness, and beauty together. And this conversation is just another dimension to that. Yeah. And I hope that you guys have found this uplifting and encouraging and I would love to know, listeners, what are some books about ideas that you recommend? And we don't want a huge political or theological or parenting styles or oils versus whatever discussions, you know, but about the pursuit of ideas. I would love to know book recommendations you have about that. Also, do you have some experiences with reading fiction where the big ideas in it just really struck you and you really um, connected with it? And do you have an experience with reading books that you disagree with, like Charlie on the Plane or something like that? (laughs) I would love to hear about it. So thank you for listening and being part of our Book Fair family. I'm just so, so grateful for it and that we're moving into season two. It's just so thrilling. So hope you all have a wonderful day. And I'll start Trisha to close out. Thank you so much. Thank you again, Sheridan, for being here. And until next time, I'm I'm Trisha. I'm Amanda. And happy reading.